This is the Packer Pushers, where today we're driving our software-powered vehicle down the virtual roadway that has no signposts and there is no map. Visibility is strictly limited by the cloud to about five minutes ahead, and we sure as heck don't know where we're going. But that's never stopped us before, and it isn't going to stop us today. Cloud Router is an open source project that has set out to build a virtual router about a couple of years ago. Born from a need inside a real networking team, I've been watching it survive its early stages as an open source project to emerge in what could be called pretty good form. And that's why today we're talking to Jay Turner to uncover just how, what, and why Cloud Router might be for you. I'm Greg Farrow, with me is Ethan Banks, and joining us today is Jay Turner. Jay, why don't you quickly introduce yourself to the audience? Hey, certainly. Jay Turner. I work for a company called Console. Um, we've had a couple other names in the past, but but now we decided Console was the easiest one to pronounce, so we went with that. Um, uh, prior to joining Console about uh, I guess 18 months ago now, um, I spent 16 years at uh, Red Hat. Um, Taking Red Hat Linux from uh, you know a box product on a shelf uh, to you know enterprise product used by you know I think the great majority of the Fortune 500 companies, mm. so uh, it was it was quite a ride and uh, I enjoyed it had a great time but it was time to get back to uh, to the startup mentality and getting stuff done on a much quicker pace so uh, that's what brought <laughs> you me to, to get away from that yeah you wanted to get away from the bureaucracy and back to actually doing something. Yes, so, and it's been quite nice. Okay. So, first of all, give me a, a, the elevator pitch around Cloud Router and what it is. I don't want to know why. I just want to know what it is. Yeah, certainly. So, Cloud Router is an open source project, as we've mentioned, but it's largely a collection of uh, network-centric technology that is available out in the, the community today in disparate pieces we wanted to kind of pull that together and make it, uh, you know, a nice, concise collection that was very easy to download, install, utilize, and and then the the true goal is to, uh, you know, increase the adhesion of the community, make it easier for the community to get involved in those projects and and mm -hmm. to continue to push them forward. What I hear you saying there is that anybody can make Linux into a router. You can just you know, put lots of interfaces in it and then put static routes, boom, it's a router. But a router is more than just, you know, multiple interfaces doing L3. It's also about routing protocols and traffic shaping and things like that. And you're basically pulling together different Linux parts and bonding them together so you can download one image to be a router. Yeah, certainly. That, that is probably about 80% of it. The, the other 20% is trying to wrap our arms around this new and emerging software-defined networking technology where, you know, it seems like every day you, uh, you know, you pull up a news site and there's 10 different projects that have been launched uh, and many of them doing the same thing or disparate things. So we, we wanted to, to kind of have that solid foundation that then these new pieces of technology could you know, latch onto Frankenstein-like and, um, and make that very easily consumable. So now that you've got this uh, platform that you put together, what sort of teams working on the project? Because today we get a lot of open source projects and there's a lot of vendors in behind them. And that's part of what gives you a level of confidence that the project's got momentum. Now, as I said in the opening, I've been watching Cloud Radar for a couple of years to see if it's going to, well, I'll be, I'll be blunt and say survive. Not all open yes. source projects survive. So what is it that fires the project or motivates the project now? Yes, yeah, certainly. So um, it, it is kind of a, a weird answer because it is, uh, by and large, an amalgamation of technology that, that's available, you know, publicly and, and openly. You know, the number of people working specifically on cloud router in particular is actually fairly small, which 
you know, some could say is actually a plus because that means that that we're not forking, uh, you know, the rest of the projects and we're not causing people to pick, you know, do I work on the cloud router open daylight or do I work on open daylight proper? So, and that was a conscious decision that we made. We did want to, you know, have that filter, uh, have that aperture as wide as possible to, to not force that sort of decision. So the number of people working strictly on cloud router is actually fairly small, you know, in mm. the teens, to be honest. The number of people working on the component pieces of cloud router, though, is you know, hundreds and thousands, and you know, possibly even into the yeah. tens of thousands. Once you consider, you know, Linux and and all the various pieces. So what you're saying um, is, some there's a team working on Quagga. You use Quagga inside of cloud router. If you take right. all the people running who develop the Linux operating system, you know, there's <laughs> thousands running on the Linux kernel and the all of the projects that make Linux. So what you're saying is, it actually building a router out of Linux doesn't take a whole lot of work because all the pieces are out there. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then the other kind of motivating factor and the other driving factor behind um, Cloud Router was Console, the company that I worked for, was in need of a software-based virtual router for our own products. And so that is where the cloud router concept initially came from. So, you know, not only do we have this, you know, very broad stream of, of the community contributing to this project, um, either directly or indirectly, we also have its use then in a scaled-down version in the um, portfolio of, of console in our day-to-day -day operations. So we've kind of got both of those uh, you know, aspects driving the project forward. Uh, Jay, you mentioned a tie into the Open Daylight project, and as I was going through your site, kind of getting oriented on Cloud Router, you mentioned that uh, there's a full Open Daylight distribution included within the Cloud Router product, which, to be honest, confused me a little bit because I think of a, a software router as a software router. Why would I need an ODL distribution baked into that? Can you explain how that, that's a synergy? Yeah, certainly. And it's not just ODL. Onos is, is in there as well. So, uh, you know, that kind of goes this way for a couple of these components. You know, again, this kind of goes back to the we wanted to lower the barrier of participation for the community. And Open Daylight, phenomenal project. I, I love working with it. I love the team involved. Onos is the same way. But getting those things actually installed and in a state where you can even begin to start understanding what they're doing and begin to make contributions is incredibly time-consuming and, and difficult and challenging. And so we saw this very stable cloud router as an opportunity to package these other associated pieces and make them just as easily consumable on that solid foundation that, that is cloud router. So, you know, we've got this software-based router that we, that's well understood. You know, as you've said, you know, it's not rocket science to spin up a Linux router. But then to stitch that together with these other SDN-based technologies, we felt was a really powerful um, story to to tell the community and and to um, get some adhesion there. Right. And so, so what you're so what you're saying there is that in a modern network, a router is not a thing that exists on its own. It's just part of a bigger system. And you took yeah. the view yeah. that cloud router had to be part of a had to have a controller platform or had to be immersed in some bigger ecosystem. It's not, you know, here's a router, congratulations. <laughs> it's, it's more than yeah. And the, the other aspect to consider here is we wanted to make that transition from what many people have today, routers as, we, as we've known them for 20 years, 
the transition from there to fully SDN is is insanely difficult. So if we start with a router that people you know kind of understand and operates the way people expect it to, and then they can go, oh, okay, so I've got that done. Well, let's start bringing in this this kind of new technology. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, this is fun. Okay, I'm seeing how this is going, and it helps really make that transition very smooth. And it allows people to really get on board that train anywhere they want to. You know, so users who are fully uh, immersed in the SDM world, okay, well, they go to the, you know, the far right side and, and just consume that technology. Users who are more traditional, but looking to make that migration, oh, look, here, here's a Linux router, doesn't get much more bog simple and standard than that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So when folks are looking at uh, a cloud router, then you, it, it's not... It's not a product for everybody, and there's a lot of other choices out there as well, but the way you guys seem to position it, if you're in public or private cloud deployments, you might be interested in this. And as you just mentioned, you're looking for that low barrier of entry into SDN, but maybe it's not right for some other people. I mean, can you kind of clarify that positioning a little bit, Jay? Yeah, certainly. And and a perfect example is we actually had a user uh, a week or two back come on to the uh, Gitter session, the, the chat board that we use, and, and he said, hey, I'm looking for a Linux distribution to use for a school project. And we said, well, you know, is it network related? And he said, no. We said, this is probably not where you want to go play. Why don't you go look at Fedora or, or Debian or CentOS or one of the others? And that's just an artifact of the fact that, uh, you know, it is very network-centric, and some of the tuning that we've done is is specific to networking. Someone who does want a, a software-based router, but they're looking at, you know, fire and forget. They want to spin it up, stick it in a corner, and never pay any attention to it anymore. Probably not what you want here either, because, um, you know, cloud routers really about being involved in that development process and being involved in that uh, technology discovery. And so it's, you know, it's constantly changing, constantly moving. As of today, we don't have a really good aggregated control uh, or, or configuration utility for it. That's actually one of the things on the roadmap. So, you know, someone looking at um, being able to pull up a UI and, you know, configure their static routes, configure their upstream provider, uh, you know, maybe set up a DHCP server all through a um, consolidated UI. The cloud router is not there um, mm. today for you. Uh, it may yeah. be in another few months. So let me ask you a bit of a question about positioning. In recent months, we've seen uh, Open Switch Project come up, which is a, an operating system that runs on for switches, runs on the hardware, and it's got a full-on networking stack. So they're folding in routing protocols as well as switching protocols. How does your project compare? And like Dell's OS X is an open source version of the same thing. We've got other companies producing open source operating systems to do with networking. How does it differ from them? I think we probably are in very similar spaces there. As it stands today, though, um, I think the the word you said is probably the differentiator. You said product. CloudRider is not a product. We we don't sell it, and the support is uh, not quite. If it breaks, you get to keep both pieces, but it's uh, it's pretty close to that. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's, you it's open source community support, not yes, exactly. premium paid. Some nice person is going to answer the phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, you know, we do have a lot of nice people involved, and uh, and answers get get uh, given out fairly quickly. But no, there's there's no phone call that you can make and say my router just went down and and I need it back in five minutes. So I'm more than happy for for Dell to have that business or or whatever. That that's the key differentiator. There is is this is not a product from our perspective. It's a project. Mm. 
On your site, Jay, you also uh, mentioned security, priority zero for Cloud Router, which I assume that to mean it's it's even higher than one. Explain that then. How, I mean, how are you guys making security such a big deal in this project? Yeah, so, um, and this is an artifact of many of the software team involved with Cloud Router having come out of Red Hat. And so we've, you know, that sense of security and urgency of security was was kind of inbred into us. When we began this project, one of the first things we did was make sure that we uh, we had, you know, key people in influential positions to make sure that we were solid on our security. And we did that by having um, David Jorm, who's also one of our software developers. He is the security um, response lead for both Open Daylight and Onos. So um, at the time, those were kind of the two big pieces that we were incorporating. And so he sits across both of those teams, making sure that you know any and all security issues that get reported against those two projects, that we very quickly act on those at the project level, not necessarily at the the cloud router level, which is is important. And then he continues to track uh, the rest of the components that go into our distribution. Um, he's active in that community, um, so it's not just you know he's looking at it from the. Uh, you know, how does this affect cloud router? But he's looking at, you know, how does this affect the, the broader ecosystem that that is the components that come in there? And, you know, we've shipped a handful of security updates um, already. We've shipped at least one uh, zero-day exploit where, uh, you know, the, that's the <laughs> I just got this vision of you shipping a zero-day, like, and then going, oh, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry. Exploit fix. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Well, wow, I, I just live with the tongue, but I thought it was amusing. Was just... We're going to need to drop that one on the floor. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thanks for a zero day exploit. Yeah. We want to. We want to be just like commercial software. We're shipping zero day, just like everybody else. Is that what you're saying? Uh, so, you know, that is where that motivation came from. And then probably the the quickest summary of what this really means for the project itself is. Uh, you know, if if David or one of our other security response team members pops up and says this must be changed now, mm. that becomes a you know fire drill. Drop everything and and go fix this issue. That's really why we see it as as a priority zero. Well, it's interesting the way you guys have tackled this because as as we've already pointed out, Cloud Router as a project is uh, a bunch of different projects and code families that are merged together to make this. Well, it's not a product as such, but to make this uh, this virtual router, and so therefore you got to keep your eyes on a lot of things to see what all the potential impact is of uh, the various bits of code that are out there that make up this project. Uh, I mean, how much of your own code is is in there? I mean, you said there's like a dozen or you know in the teens of people that are working on this. So, is there some original code that's a part of Cloud Router as well? There, there's a very small bit of original code there, and most of that is around the actual orchestration of the project. So building of the um, AWS images, for example, or building of the, um, the, the other container images, Docker and, and whatnot. Um, that's really where most of the original code sits. Now, modifications to existing code, that's, where, that's a bigger bucket where we've gone in and um, made changes to some of the BGP routing technology. We've pushed tuning into the kernel to make it more, you know, network centric. So, you know, that's the case where, you know, as I said a little bit ago, you know, if somebody's just looking for a general Linux distribution, this is probably not for them because we have tuned this thing for for the network. So that's kind of where the the net new pieces go, and all of those get pushed upstream as well. I mean, we have absolutely no interest in 
sitting on fixes or, or sitting on patches. Uh, that's just, it doesn't help us and it doesn't help the community. What's this thing with containers? Like, one of the things I've noticed is that you've done a lot of packaging of cloud router into containers and you can spawn it as, from a Docker command line. I'm struggling to understand why you would want to, a uh, container is intended to be ephemeral, could be lasting, you know, five or six seconds before you tear it down. Having a router inside of a container doesn't seem to make sense because it's not intended to be a long-held system? Or am I missing something? I think that's where a lot of people kind of see containers, but more and more what um, we're seeing is that with the increases in, in horsepower of the machines, a lot of people are now starting to look at the the just straight up virtualization and they're going, you know, that's cool and all, but that still means that I have to carry around my own kernel for every single one of these VMs and they're all running the same kernel. So can, can I further optimize this? Can I squeeze more blood out of this turnip? And so we're seeing more and more people move to containers for long running type of applications. Mm-hmm. And so mm. pet containers, not, uh, not exactly. merely cattle anymore. Wow, uh, I thought I left behind that analogy when I left Red Hat, but no, that is exactly it. Pet containers, put them in the crate. Um, so we're seeing we're seeing more movement to that, and so what then became kind of obvious was the networking within containers, uh, within the you know Docker within these container environments was pretty horrendous, and um, you know Docker even went out and acquired Socket Plane as a result of this um, because they were trying to solve their network problem. Um, so you know we we don't have grand illusions that we're going to solve the uh, container networking uh, difficulties, mm. but we did see the opportunity to uh, package. Cloud router as a, a container and allow people to you know spin it up and do funny things with it, networking within their container environments, and then the the other kind of aspect of that 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 was uh, enticing to us is taking uh, cloud router and spinning it up into the cloud environments, which again you know look like containers to be able to do cloud to cloud interconnections, which is uh, you know clearly something none of the cloud providers really want to. So you uh, think? Enable. So I mean, I know Google's really big on containers, and being able to run a router in a container makes sense. Uh, could make sense there, but n- normally one router is used for hundreds of instances. I guess you could say I might have a situation where one router per application, or maybe I have a router for a web server, and if, you know, like for every web server, there's a router attached to it in a container, and you might deploy the web server, and when the web server goes away, you pull the router out or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And then also as virtual private gateways and being able to, to um, connect into your cloud environments with infrastructure that you're controlling. You know, I know Amazon, you know, they have a list of steps on how to do this, but it's fairly, it's fairly technical. It's fairly difficult. Uh-huh. Amazon VPN gateways it. into AWS is horrendous. And I'm exactly. not sure if that's because I'm a network engineer and I think the wrong way. I'm not thinking Amazon's way or whether it's just bad. I suspect it's just bad. Uh, so, so what you're too. saying is there's VPN capabilities. So the things that we think of as SSL VPN and IPSEC VPN, that's in the cloud router code? Yes, you can you can deploy cloud router into a, a cloud as an instance mm-hmm. and then um, you know do your, your um secure connections into it that way. And then the even more powerful one is cloud to cloud. So we've been able to bridge, you know, AWS to Google, for example, and transfer data back and forth, which there's a use for. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, data replication or, or migration from environment to environment. So, you know, these are just things that 
we said, hey, you know, we think we can do this. Let's go figure out whether it works. And then we publish a wiki article about how to do it. Jay, let's talk about performance again. You, you mentioned uh, containers. Uh, we've mentioned putting, standing it up as a virtual machine. Um, do You mentioned also doing uh, your own kernel tweaks and so on for purposes of tuning and, and performance. What about integrations with DPDK or maybe the FDIO project? I guess they call that FIDO, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, so we've been shipping DPDK, I think, the entirety of, of uh, CloudRider the whole time. And, and we actually do operate or, or you know, interface with Intel on, on much of that work uh, and make sure we've, we've got the latest and greatest. And um, we actually just reported a few bugs to them uh, a couple of weeks ago that, that need to be resolved. So, so we're active in that community. I've been batting around the idea of going and building our own router using the DPDK kit itself, the toolkit. And, um, you know, every time we had a meeting about it, um, lots of people started shaking their heads and, you know, contemplating hitting the alcohol cabinet in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> and thankfully, uh, uh, Intel and Cisco and a couple others decided to solve that problem for us um, with the VPP project, which is a, a s- subcomponent, meta piece, whatever you want to call it, of, of FIDO. So um, just as we were kind of, uh, you know, coming to terms with the fact we were going to have to go write a router, um, one popped up and, and it was backed by some, you know, People that we felt were uh, were pretty yeah. reputable and probably weren't going to disappear <laughs> tomorrow. So we're talking um, about the SD.io project. We just recorded yeah, a yeah. podcast with um, the Cisco team that led that. And yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're, they're they're making certainly the the pitch that they made was certainly convincing. And you're telling me that you're big on it as well. We are, um, and we're actively uh, working on it. We're working on the VPP piece um, today. So, mm. you know, Fido has a couple of others. Like, I think there's one called Honeycomb, which provides you a, an interface into the, the VPP itself. So, it's not that it's not interesting to it. It's that it's less interesting right now. We're trying to nail the, um, the, the performance issue um, yeah. today. So, VPP is, what is it, vector parallel processing. That's the switching engine or the, the packet processing engine that they that they developed that's Cisco developed like 10 to 12 years ago, and it's been iterated on a few times to be just this super, super fast for packet processing. And in our testing, it has proven to be just that, super, super fast. Let me ask a question about VPP. Like, performance is important, but what about packet munging? Does it have good abilities to actually modify the packets or to rewrite packets or to apply quos and things like that? Has it got all of the sort of the counters and tags to be able to do that type of activity? That seems to be the area that um, is probably going to be phase whatever they're on now, um, you know, M plus one. Um, I think right now the the testing we've been doing and, and what it seems the community has been focused on is getting the pro- processing of the packet down pat. And, um, you know, maybe I'm, I'm – had too much coffee today and I'm just overly optimistic. But uh, <laughs> I think that once we nail that, the speed of moving the packet through the system, layering everything else on top of that's going to be a fairly easy ask. Uh, at least that's my hope and goal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm most excited about uh, getting some MPLS 
set up and, and running on top of it. Um, that the technology is there today. We just haven't beaten it. And, um, actually in our own testing, we were, we were cruising, we were doing great. And then we went and laid a VLAN on top of it and, um, and things went, uh, south very quickly. So, uh, the last set of patches we actually submitted to the VPP and DBDK project were around FPPs handling of VLANs. That's fixed now. So we're, we're back to being able to be operative and, and, and do some testing. Cool. It's funny the functions that we take for granted. You'd think, you know, apply a dot one Q tag. No problem. Nope. Bug. We have an issue. Let's let's deal with this. <laughs> it's it really shows you just how nascent the open networking market is and how some of the new code isn't mature just yet. And you can take nothing for granted. That's uh yeah, you know, it, it is funny, and, and this is a, a tad bit of a tangent, but um, one of the other issues that we had, and it's actually not on the cloud router side, it's actually on, on the, the production side where we're, we're using it within the console network. We needed the ability to have some really intimate control of um, MAC addresses per VLAN, to, to be specific. And um, turns out, you know, we start pulling back the covers and find out that Linux actually has a Mac VLAN implementation, which is pretty freaking solid. Hmm. So um, that one just kind of fell in our lap. And that was a situation where our Linux software router actually can do stuff that traditional hardware routers, the Cisco's and Junipers of the world could not. And so uh, that left a smile on my face when I said, hey, you know, I can do it in software. What are you network guys doing? So uh, it was fun. So Jay, let's let's talk about how to manage this thing. I mean, we have an idea of where it's positioned, kind of what it's what it's useful for. But okay, and so we've positioned it as a cloud router. It's good in public and private cloud. Uh, it's good for getting your feet wet with SDN. So if it's a cloud router, is the focus on automating configuration? In, in other words, is the primary configuration interface an API? That's where we're headed, and uh, you know, I mentioned a little bit ago that you know if you're looking for a nice, beautiful, pretty UI to go cl- pointy-clicky on and make this thing work, you're going to have to wait a little longer or contribute code. So that's not where we are now. Keep um, repeating we need that. To get Maybe there. people will hear you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, GitHub is open. Um, yeah. So you know, to to really turn this into what I think would be a incredibly successful router, software-based router we would need to put a UI in front of it so that people can utilize uh, their mouse or, or an API, um, API is even better, to be able to configure this thing. As it stands today, each of the disparate pieces, uh, you know, kind of have their own, they're, they're somewhere on the scale of one to 10 with respect to um, to those management capabilities, either from a RESTful API or from a UI. And, and you know, we, we, of course, enable those interfaces, but we do not have a consolidated interface uh, as it exists today. So it's not that there's nothing. It's not that there's no API, there's no GUI. It's just, it's pretty limited in very early days. Exactly. Yeah. So the primary interface then to manage this thing would be uh, a CLI. I'm assuming you would coin it uh, an industry standard CLI, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly an industry standard CLI. And, um, you know, that's probably a side effect of uh, much of the, many of the people involved in this is, uh, you know, we are most comfortable at a CLI. We're most comfortable when we're, we're typing, you know, Vim commands and Emacs commands. And, you know, it's just... It's not top of mind for us to go pointy clicking on things, so it it hasn't gotten the priority we need, and and it wasn't necessary for the the production uh, usage that that we were aiming for to to solve the console problem. So the the uh, other sharp edge of the open source knife. 
Now, that said, the cloud router is bundled with ODL uh, and Onos, you mentioned as well, those two pretty well-known controllers. So with that tie-in to those controllers, is there some project or some set of code within ODL or Onos, some project that can act on a cloud router, get it to do something? Yeah, yeah, we have um, tight integrations with both of those projects where um, you can use the, um, you know, in the open daylight case, Neutron uh, can link down into into the, the Linux kernel network and, and the, the performance changes that we've made there in Cloud Router. So, um, you know, it can underlay both of those, um, those controller technologies. You know, where does that go to? We're not entirely sure. Um, there are you know, switch vendors out there who are running um, chips that are capable of running Linux. Arista is one of them. Um, you know, so technically you could sideload CloudRouter onto an Arista switch. Um, we haven't done it. This is definitely, if you if it breaks, you get to keep both pieces. But you know, <laughs> there are switches out there that, that run Linux, uh, so you could technically sideload. And then there's a lot of um, new technology happening. Um, there are some switch vendors here in the, the Silicon Valley area who um, you know, are moving to Linux-based switches, either from a controller perspective or actually the, the switch is running that as well. And then, um, you know, as I'm sure you guys are aware, just uh, what, late last week, Barefoot Networks came out of um, stealth mode yep. with completely net new silicon um, and the P4, the um, tie with the P4 language. And so, you know, they've taken a bit of a, a different approach from the separation of control plane and data plane. And they've said, you know, hey, why do that when you can just dynamically control the data plane? With the P4 language, we're weak into that one, so we haven't. Uh, the team hasn't had a lot of chance to pull back the covers and figure out what's actually going on there. But um, you know, I'm kind of drooling at the prospect of getting a piece of their silicon in my lab to figure out whether this is, um, you know, something that we could instrument. Because yeah, now you're not hardware. reliant on Broadcom's APIs to do acceleration. Exactly. Or you're not uh, you're not reliant on you know Cavium's APIs or the switch abstraction interface. You can actually just define how you want the silicon to operate via that P4 language. We recorded a show um, recently with Nick McEwen on P4. Yep. We talked all about it. So if you're interested in that, um, go and look up that show in the Priority Q feed. Wonderful. Yeah, Nick, Nick's a great guy, and, and I love what they've done, and I'm so glad they're out of stealth now. And uh, now if they'll just send me a piece of silicon, that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jay, you were talking about sideloading a bit ago, and uh, and I noticed in the docs that there's an integrated network protocol analyzer in Cloud Router. Can you talk more about that? We had a, a project called FastNetMon, which is uh, also network monitoring utility specifically targeted at um, at BGP that we incorporated as well. So um, all the typical Linux utilities for, for deep packet analysis, um, you know, Wireshark's the funny one because uh, we have half of our office who, every time I tell them to fire up Wireshark, they, they fire up this GUI that still looks completely foreign to me. And I'm like, can you just please start typing at the command line? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, TCP dump just cracks people up because, you know, they're like, well, what are you looking at there? I'm like, just, just, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just, I'll tell you. What's I know wrong. TCP just, dump well. Just, yeah. <laughs> 
so okay, so it's and, and this I think really highlights one of the interesting aspects of Cloud Router. If it's Linux based, that means you can load a lot of utilities on it and have access to the interfaces uh, that are network interfaces and tap into what's going on there. And it's not a hard thing to do, like it is with uh, a lot of other switches that uh, that were. If you're familiar with Cisco switches, you can't just run Wireshark on any and all of those boxes. It you don't have a operating system environment that allows you to do that and uh, and give you access to the ports that you need. It's not a function that's there. And you're always pleasantly surprised when it's like, oh my gosh, I can do remote Wireshark capture on this particular platform for whatever it is. Uh, when you bring an operating system like Linux in to, to bear, and that's the root of your network OS, you can do these things with a lot less fuss, which is... Uh, Really pretty cool, and uh, and yeah, it, I just I thought that was a great thing that would pique people's interest. Ooh, integrated network protocol analyzer, uh huh. Yeah, and you know another advantage, uh, you know, I keep harping on the open source advantages, but that's that's you know I'll eat, live, and breathe that. You know, not only can can you you know grab all these tools and and use that to analyze your your network or you know, analyze the work that's going on. The drivers underneath those network devices are open. You can go look at the code. You can go figure out exactly what's going on. One of my um, probably closest uh, integrations at Red Hat, um, I was working with one of the um, uh, storage driver developers. And over the course of, of working with him, turns out he learned how to program storage drivers by reading the source code for other storage drivers. And that just continues today to, to amaze me that, um, you know, someone without a programming background or, or with minimal programming background could become an expert. He ended up owning the driver for, for Linux. He was, he was mm -hmm. the maintainer merely by going in and doing analysis of pre-existing work. Well, Jay, let's talk about some deployment scenarios for Cloud Router here. Uh, we mentioned a few of them. There's a virtual machine form factor. You could use it as a container, a Docker image. What about uh, hardware? I mean, could I actually build a, a box that's dedicated to being a Cloud Router? You could, and we actually have one here in the office. It's a commodity off-the-shelf piece of gear, but we've loaded it with Cloud Router, and, and it routes. I mean, does it make sense to do that, though, the way you've positioned it? Probably not from a cost-benefit perspective, but from a, um, a, a hobby perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and I say that from the perspective that after I started working on Cloud Router about six months later, probably after our first release, I came home one day and my then 10-year-old was asking me whether he could put Cloud Router on his uh, Raspberry Pi. And I went, I don't know, but why? And he's like, <laughs> why not? And so um, we actually then, we did, we built it. It went downhill um, so from there. We did. So, uh, so we did build a Raspberry Pi version, and I think it got pushed up at one point in time. I don't think it's continued to get maintained. I should talk to my son about that. And it could, it could be an interesting failing, VPN endpoint he, or something. Yeah, but yeah. And that's uh, that's kind of where he was, you know, he just kind of wanted to play around, and, and here he had this Raspberry Pi sitting on his desk, so why not? You know, so... What does that mean for, you know, the general hobbyist? You know, I think it could be a good way to just kind of poke and play around with, you know, these controllers in this SDN world and, you know, being able to spin up a virtual switch and, and, and play with it and understand what it's doing, you know, can really help with that uh, onboarding of understanding networking and understanding how, how the world works. Mm -hmm. 
you know, even how the internet itself functions, you know, I think way too many people think they just, you know, connect to a Wi-Fi uh, access network and, and, you know, magic happens from there. And, um, there's a lot more to it than that. And, uh, you know, well, it's it, not it just magic. Good. Sometimes there's a unicorn, there's a yeah, warlock that and, comes and forth some, from the woods. Rainbows involved. That's yes. right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you make a good point. You make a great point, actually. So, something like this being used as an educational tool, whether it's for the hobbyist or you know, in a more uh, uh, disciplined style, it's uh, there's great value there. Another deployment question, Jay. Uh, Public cloud. So I know one of the use cases is bridging public and private clouds through VPN tunnel, that sort of thing. And I think there's even a how-to document on uh, the the cloud router website explaining how to do that. So does that mean there's an image up in AWS for that? And there is. There's an image at AWS, and there's an image in um, in GCE. Um, you can instantiate your own uh, cloud router from there, um, and we we. You know, keep those updated um, with each refresh of of CloudRouter that we post to the CloudRouter.org website as well. So, you can do that. We have a couple of them running actually um, on a pretty constant basis, where we use them as endpoints for um, some of our uh, switch automation that we do. Uh, you know, internal here, just to kind of give us a something to bounce off that we we know we understand it's you know it's the scientific method you know only change one thing at a time <laughs> now deploying this guy in the cloud we think cloud we don't have to worry about redundancy anymore the cloud just handles it it's all magical but but in fact uh, you mentioned uh, on the site a lot of high availability system redundancy features that are there so what are we talking about here I mean as a network engineer when you say that I think things like ISSU maybe there's an active standby pair with some kind of stateful failover or maybe we're talking about clustering or VRRP can you talk through the high availability system redundancy sorts of features that are, exist in cloud router this is where we get to go, hey, look, Linux is a wonderful operating system, and you can do anything with it. It slices, it dices, it juliannes. So that that's really where that statement originates in that, you know, you can configure these things in a myriad of different ways, whatever is, is most uh, supportive of your use case. The way we have seen it deployed and the, and the way we've used it sometimes is typically active-passive with failover being controlled by heartbeat. So we're just sitting there poking and making sure things are, are are working so this is active standby at a at a at a linux os level we're not talking about you know bgp daemons up at a higher level we're talking about the actual the entirety of the cloud router itself yeah the entirety of the cloud router itself can be um instantiated with high availability with uh you know your typical linux utilities um at the bgp level and this is kind of where the the cloud and containers actually start kind of getting interesting um either at the vm or container level you can set up uh you know bird for example in um active passive mode as well with failover between nodes as well or between vms containers um so you know it, we don't have, you know, a recommended best practice for any of that um, specific to, to cloud router. But, um, you know, at the, the Linux level, either operating system redundancy or application redundancy, those are, you know, all kind of fairly tried and true methods that we just inherit naturally and, and get to benefit from. Let's talk about routing protocols then, as I think about my deployments. Uh, we mentioned BGP. That seems to be a table stakes for anything that would be in the cloud. Uh, what other routing protocols are available to me? 
BGP is is clearly the one that we are, are most fond of. Uh, that's the one area that we have made uh, a non-trivial number of changes um, is to optimize the BGP stack that is in CloudRouter, uh, specifically with respect to Bird. Um, we do package Quagga as well. We package um, Exa BGP as well. It's a cloud router with three different BGP routing protocols. You gotta love it. Um, <laughs> we're all about choice. <laughs> you can have too much choice, though. That's sometimes a bit of a curse because now your efforts, you're you're spreading your testing and your workload across three of the same thing. We we are indeed. Although Exa, not to take any way, anything away from the Exa guys, but um, it, we do kind of consider it a different beast um, because it doesn't have the the ability to to modify the um, fib directly. So uh, it's a it's a wonderful project, and we actually use it most of the time to drive uh, testing of of other things within the platform. But yeah, Quagga and Bird, you know, it's it's always a competition to see, you know, who gets to test which one first. So uh, is, is GoBGP yeah, on your radar? It is. Uh, we played with it, and there's actually a packaging request to include it in the next version of uh, Cloud Router. Um, seems to be, you know, pretty fast. It, it's impressive. Will we deploy it to production? And I, I have absolutely no clue. Um, we we seem to be pretty darn happy with Bird right now, and and it's doing what we need it to do, um, and seems to be you know pretty well regarded within the the industry, but. Um, but yeah, the the entire Go language um, and and the work being done there is um, is pretty impressive. We're starting to see more and more implementations around Go, and so Go BGP will be in the next version of CloudRouter. Mm. Mm. I think I think Go is exciting to some people because it's very easy to attach it inside of a container. So you could just drop it on an operating system and run it as a script instead of thinking of it as an appliance. Would that be fair? At least that's how sometimes I see it. Uh, I think that's definitely an aspect of it, and it's fairly straightforward. I think the it's got a fairly low barrier to entry. Um, you know, yeah. the flip side of that is that you can uh, you can really shaft yourself pretty quickly with it. It, uh, yeah. um, you know, you can you can do some pretty gnarly things, but um, it is you know pretty easy to read um, from, well, from that an, perspective. In, BGP has so many wanker knobs that it's really oh, yeah. easy that, to damage yourself, right? The days of BGP being a simple, plain protocol of you know that 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 horse bolted ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and oh, yeah, it's yeah. it's really easy to muck up your BGP just because it's gotten overly stupid. But I think the thing is that with Go, because it's written in Go, the packaging of Go means that you download one package, one executable, and it's all there. You don't have to work out dependencies and all that sort of stuff. And that makes is what makes it attractive to some people, especially if you're oh, doing a lot of dev work in Go too. Jay, talk about the firewalling features. Is this thing had a, a full firewall? I noticed uh, stateful for v4 and v6, zone based, uh, stateful failover between uh, firewall instances. Uh, so, how do you see cloud router users um, actually using the firewall feature set? Yeah, so you know, firewalls are a, an interesting beast, and uh, you know, we've probably all been dealing with them for Lord knows how long. Um, you know, we again, this is a case where we're inheriting the, the goodness of others um, with respect to the firewall D um, uh, in, um, instantiation or project that that comes with Linux. 
you know, when Firewall D first came on the scene and I was transitioning from, from IP tables and typing those gnarly IP tables rules um, from, from memory, um, I, I was not very fond of it. it. It just didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. You know, I, it didn't seem like I had the control that I had with IP tables to be able to, you know, explicitly specify what I wanted the system to do for me. Um, the more I kind of worked with it, the more I realized that it... Um, I just kind of need to change change my brain, change the way I was approaching it, and and that zone based um, aspect to it is really kind of what what finally was the, the last domino to fall in my brain when I, I started to realize that you know here we are pushing to to users the ability to maintain multiple zones and and it's very straightforward and it's it's very easily understood and okay you know to my to my provider i want these sorts of rules and i want to allow these sorts of services but inside my house where i've got you know kids running off playing minecraft or they're on their playstation 4 or this one's over here with his raspberry pi you know it it made it so much easier to kind of um, compartmentalize those needs and then define them on an individual basis. And, um, you know, one of the scariest things um, when working with a firewall, especially at a, you know, a home user or, or even at, at the, in the enterprise, you know, you go to commit one of those firewall rules and, and you're sitting there thinking it's almost proving a negative. You're like, okay, is this really not going to expose me to, to some sort of increased, um, you know, vector of attack and the, the zone based nature of firewall D, you know, really gives you some sense of confidence that, you know, if you're making a change to that trusted zone, the one that you're using, you know, internally, the one that you have the utmost trust for, you know, you can be confident that you're not going to impact that upstream link or you're not going to impact that public Wi-Fi that, that you like to share as opposed to your private Wi-Fi, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, so you know, I've really, I've become a, a, a convert. I'm, uh, I'm now a preacher of Farwell D. Um, it still has some, some warts and whatnot, but the, even the graphical management of it has gotten a lot better and and the ability to um, you know but spin you, those rules up and have them transient. Wouldn't you oh, be right. able to manage that with ODL though, Open Daylight? You, you can, but but yeah, you know for a, a uh, you know for someone who doesn't want to take the burden of of getting Open Daylight um, mm. you know installed and configured, um, you know just that that straight up. Hey, I need a, a firewall. You know here I'm running a network. I need a firewall or you know I'm developing this stuff and and it's a it's a machine that happens to be connected to the the public internet. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing here is is safe and sound. Um, you know you don't have to overcome that burden and of of getting open daylight stood up and running and configured properly before you can then you know feel safe and sound. Mm. I mean no, I'm just saying that one if you think of a a firewall as something that you configure as just one device, you're probably not running the network of tomorrow. You're running the network of 10 years ago. <laughs> really? Oh, in, that's true. Yeah, you want to get open daylight up and running so that you can actually configure the firewall at the same time as you're configuring VLANs and routing and, right. and blah, blah, blah. Right. Jay, I was sort of imagining when, when there was a firewall feature set in here, I was thinking of uh, like the way VMware NSX handles micro-segmentation. You've got a centralized policy that's deployed across every instance of that firewall 
that uh, that lives in each of the hosts. And I was sort of imagining something like that, where maybe you could build a uh, a policy, a firewall policy that gets pushed into all of the cloud routers, and it fulfills a micro-segmentation function, something like that, which seems like a, a cloudy sort of application that could be useful. Uh, have any customers or uh, users of Cloud Router, if you will, uh, gone in that direction? Uh, not to my knowledge, but, um, you know, you just let me know what your GitHub account is, and I'll look for the patch to come through. <laughs> <laughs> that, awesome. Because um, contributions are welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's, um, yeah, I'm liking that. We're putting that in 5.0. Uh, no, maybe in 4.0. Uh, no, that, that's actually uh, brilliant, especially with, with the, the push into the cloud. I, um, you know, some sort of centralized uh, orchestration uh, outside of open daylight potentially is, is pretty cool, yeah. Mm. Um, so here's a few other features I'm curious about that I didn't see any mention of on the site, Jay. Uh, so one is DMVPN. That's a Cisco-specific thing, so I don't, but, but just any sort of a multi-point tunneling uh, scenario anything like that supported not off the top of my head i, I know that we do um we support gre tunnels but mm-hmm. i don't believe those are multi-point okay and then uh, qos features uh marking traffic shaping policing uh anything like that yeah again this is where we inherit the linux um capabilities with um tc and uh the qos functionality that that comes there um it's incredibly powerful at the downside of being incredibly complex to to set up unfortunately you know this is definitely one of those features that you know if we had a a centralized gui um you know i would stick it in there in a heartbeat and allow people to um you know, to, to toggle that at the human right, you, you need a layer to mask the complexity of that configuration. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, but, yeah. but again, you're reflecting whatever the Linux capabilities are. It's there, just too yeah. much of a pain in the rear end to configure at this point. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I I configure it because I'm a glutton for punishment, and um and and you know, to be honest, there's nothing quite as uh, fulfilling as going in there and turning down your kid's uh, you know <laughs> Minecraft link to about. 2K? Oh, yeah, that, that is exciting. So, uh, yeah. But, I've got daughters. Yeah. It's not Minecraft. It's YouTube. Oh. Well, yeah. It's YouTube in my it's world. Yep. Yeah. 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 They spend yeah. a lot of time watching people, other people on YouTube, which is deeply strange. But there you go. Jay, can I do multicast routing with uh, Cloud Router? You can. Um, again, it comes in from the Linux side of things. Um, and we don't have anything specific in in cloud router to to enable it or configure it but it's the functionality is there okay and i think we talked about this you said mpls was already on the roadmap uh right mpls and the linux kernel uh i think have had you know quite the chaotic relationship um mpls originally came in a number of years ago and then i uh, i think was proven to be a, a pretty bad and awkward implementation um, to the point that the community eventually um, kind of uh, voted it off the island and said, well, we're just going to re-implement. That re-implementation is is fairly new uh, by Linux standards. And so um, we're beginning to explore it again, but it seems from, from the feedback that we're getting from the community that um, this implementation may have nailed it. And um, we're beginning to... Um, start talking to our, our network engineering team, you know, here at the office. And, um, you know, you stand a healthy distance away from a network engineer when you tell him you want to start doing MPLS and Linux kernel. They, they, they get a very ugly face when you tell them <laughs> that. But, um, 
<laughs> I think but I think the challenge there is that it's mostly ego. People who do MPLS yeah. think that they've got some sort of special magic powers. You know, if you know BGP and I can and I can do MPLS, I'm super magic. You know, networking wanker. You know, sort of thing, and it, it's just core knowledge these days. And putting it in the server it actually makes sense. Although, the challenge remains is that MPLS support at every point in the network is a challenge, because yeah, people want to charge for MPLS support. So I'm not sure that it'll ever actually get anywhere. I think ultimately MPLS will be replaced by something else. That's like a 20-bit header and a tag isn't enough anymore. You need to have much more metadata attached to it. Yeah, that that is true, and it's um, you know kind of. Sh I'm shocked probably isn't the right word. Um, it, it it definitely came as a surprise when, um, you know, a lot of uh, the news recently has been, you know, hey, this um, open flow thing isn't quite doing what we thought it would do. We're going to go look at MPLS again. And I'm like, well, okay, isn't that jumping out of the frying pan and directly into the fire? Um, <laughs> But you know, if if enough people start you know bringing the focus back to to MPLS at the you know at the macro level, um, I think we will start seeing some sort of um, you know work being done there. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the protocol really hasn't changed since it it hit the the RFC papers. In as yeah, far as right. I know, well, again, it's not the MPLS. It's not the tagging itself. It's the control protocol that configures yeah. the MPLS. You know, LDP, BGP. It's it's, it's it's the layering. Yep, it's all yeah. the layers that are required to to get to that point mm -hmm. where you actually uh, have that MPLS infrastructure built. I think that throws that's a right. lot of people. And that's a very blunt. You know, BGP and LDP is a very blunt configuration tool compared to what you get they with are. ODL or, you know, they're pretty dumb mm -hmm. by You know, for something that's so complicated, they're really dumb. It's like mm -hmm. SNMP. You know, <laughs> the protocol is really simple, but everything that you do with it has to be oh, inordinately yeah. complicated. So. Well, I think we might just about have wrapped it up to here. What do you think, uh, Mr. Banks? Man, we've done it to death, Jay. You've you've withstood the onslaught of questions rather admirably, <laughs> I must say. Well, <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, yeah. uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, well, Jay, why don't you tell the audience where they can find out more about the project and you on the internet? Certainly. So the project is available at cloudrouter.org. Um, and and uh, from there, you can link off to, to just about any other place um, on, uh, you know, on Twitter, we're at cloudrouter. Um, I think there's a Facebook page as well, if I remember correctly, I tend to push stuff there from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm uh, I, I lurk around all of those locations. There's a CloudRouter um, Gitter as well for, for real-time discussion. That's linked off the cloudrouter.org site as well. Right. So uh, that's there's a users list and a devel list and you mm -hmm. know all the stuff you would typically expect of an, of an open source project. project. It's all there. It's not hard to find. Nope. Any closing thoughts, Mr. Banks? CloudRouter sounds uh, interesting and easy to implement, like I just should drop a VM on my machine, fire it up, and, and, and see what's there. It's one of those that early on I looked at it and went, ah, you know, we'll see where this lands, and it didn't. And very early it was kind of more of an idea than a uh, something that had been put together, and now time's gone on, here it is, and uh, it's doing all of these things with more features on the roadmap. So, yeah, mm. I... Uh, Oh, my lab list is too long, and I don't spend enough time in the lab. i got to stop adding things to the lab. But this seems like a worthy uh, addition to my lab projects. That's, that's, a, that's, the, what, that's the corner of your whiteboard that doesn't seem to get much rubbed off. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Oh, exactly. <laughs> well, one of the things that you need to think about here, the lesson that I learned once was um, don't think about deploying 
virtual routers or software appliances the way that you think about doing them today. You've got to come up with whole different ideas. So don't think about putting one router at the top of your networking stack. Think about having 40 of them. And if you're not paying for them, why not have 40 VMs and then spread the workload around? That's the only thing I can say is don't think about using – think about how you would use routers if you didn't have to have just one because they were so expensive because they're made of hardware. Does that make sense? Well, I, I agree with that. Perfect yeah. Sense. yeah. So thanks for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on various forms of fine social media, Twitter at Packet Pushers. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. But please, if you could go over to iTunes and say how awesome we are, that really helps us to grow the show. As always, we'll be back again uh, soon with another show. <laughs> Probably not quite as nerdy as this one, although we certainly did get down on Amongst the Weeds. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.